This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. This episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB blends accuracy and readability, giving pastors a translation they can trust and lay people a Bible they can enjoy. Find out more at csbible.com. Okay, on with the show. Early on, I, I played with a lot of puppets. Um, I love puppets. And my brothers threatened to kill me if I brought puppets to school <laughs> because I was already in like middle school. So still rocking the puppets. Still rocking the puppets. Uh, I love puppets. Um, so are these homemade puppets or like some were homemade? My mom was a supplier of puppets. <laughs> she was for your me. dealer. <laughs> she is my puppet dealer. She kept the the fix, but you know she thought that was going to mean I was going to become an actor or something, and you know, but that required you to read, mm. which I'm not very good at. Daniel Baltzer is a New York-based visual artist. His work has been shown around the world, featured in high-profile shows in Chelsea Galleries, Miami, Seoul, South Korea, and in many prominent private collections. He's also a recipient of the New York City Artists Fellowship Grant. So, yeah, I had sort of a sordid tale up until um, high school, and then I was arrested for grand theft and went through a prison program called Scared Straight. God had been pursuing me for a long time through other people. And so I decided at the end of that program to give an ultimatum to God, <laughs> which was you have six weeks to change my life. And six weeks later, I was a different guy. Everything changed about what I desired, what I wanted. So that that was the summer before my senior year, my senior year, I enrolled in my first art class, basically, and did my first drawing and painting and stuff like that. And I was like, this is cool. I can make my own pictures, mm. you know? So I wasn't necessarily like, I didn't grow up with this like natural ability or anything like that. I mean, the imagination for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I took a year off school, enrolled in a Christian college because mm. I thought, oh, you can learn how to be a Christian here. Hmm. And then I realized, oh, you can learn the Christian subculture here. Right. <laughs> I decided to study art, specifically art education, because, you know, fine art major from a Christian liberal arts university doesn't get you much. Sure. You can probably get more out of a fortune cookie. <laughs> uh, but... That diploma could be rolled up and put into a fortune cookie. <laughs> so I did that and really pushed. There were so many people there who were just gifted. You mm. know, they, they just had this ability. And I just I just worked really hard mm. and had good ideas. Do you see a connection between the kind of renewal that you experienced spiritually and the discovery of visual art as something you were passionate about? Yeah, I feel I feel like visual art is a calling on me and I feel a little bit like most of the 
characters in the Bible that I'm not fit for it. (laughs) Like that I don't have the natural ability. I don't have the skill. I have to hone and practice the skill to make good things. And so it's it's a blue collar kind of existence. You Mm -hmm. know, it's a lot of hard work. You don't think that's true for everyone though? Oh, are you kidding? Like there's so many people I know that just it just comes out of them. Hmm. Yeah. Like they sneeze and good stuff comes out and you're just like, wow, that's beautiful. Because I've always thought of it. uh, It's funny. I was talking to somebody about this earlier today. Like I've always thought of it as we see the person sneeze and this thing comes out of them. We don't see all the labor that went before to kind of prepare them for the sneeze. All the deep in- inhales. <laughs> <All> the deep- <laughs> yeah. 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 But you think, you know, like you've, in your experience, like you've seen that some people are just so naturally gifted that it doesn't take, you know, because I'm, I mean, I'm well, imagining I that practice you- is absolutely part of the deal. Yeah. You know, you have to practice the craft. Some of it's sort of physical, like eye hand kind of stuff, you mm-hmm. know. And then there's another component that's mental, which is the sort of understanding design and composition and things like that. And then there's another portion, which is more spiritual, which Mm -hmm. is the imagination and the ideas. And you feel like you were gifted there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's probably, probably where it mostly lies. I have that, like, I think strange thoughts (laughs) so yeah that's probably where most of mine lie but you have to be a whole you have to be a whole person yeah there's a pine warbler sitting on a hollow limb he seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him and everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on it seems to hush the leaves and the colors all around now first he sings and then he goes and what it means, it's hard to know. From Harbor Media, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. I'm Mike Cosper, and on today's show, my guest is Daniel Baltzer. We'll talk about the journey he took towards being a visual artist. We'll talk spirituality and art, about being a Christian in New York's art scene, and about the actual grind that makes up the life of an artist. It's a great conversation, so stay with us. So as you're discovering this in late high school, college, you're realizing that the, the the real hill you have to climb is to develop the technique. Yeah, and like sort of on the on the mental side, like as far as composition and design and color, like I have a strong eye for that kind of stuff. So there's probably a little bit more like natural stuff in that too, but. Yeah, the practice of it has has been a labor. Yeah. So yeah. So you went graduated. to Taylor University. Okay. Shout out 
go Trojans. They're working really hard to pretend I never went there. Um, <laughs> what but, makes you say that? <laughs> well, so everywhere I lived on campus, they have since torn it down. <laughs> and I think they pretend that I never enrolled. I was not the typical Taylor student. You know, different colored hair and funny clothes. And so I kind of stood out in mm -hmm. the crowd. It was good. It was a good experience. Leaving there, I at first thought I was going to go to grad school and study. And the grad school I wanted to go to was actually here in New York City. It was the New York Academy. And I had my application all done and everything ready. Just before I sent it in, I thought, I really like what I'm painting right now. And I know that if I submit to a grad program, they're going to say, forget everything you're doing. We're mm -hmm. going to do this. And so, you know, me being egotistical and high and mighty, I thought, well, I'm better than that. And, and decided not to go to grad school and just painted and painted and sort of learned a lot of stuff on my own. Started showing in Columbus, Ohio. So I, I was doing that. And then right around that time, uh, some of my former classmates, art majors from Taylor, were calling me and saying, hey, we haven't made art in years, and you seem to be making a lot of art. Can we come make art with you? And I was like, yeah, it seems like this is a thing. So I started an organization called the Limner Society. And basically, it was me and these other guys from Taylor just making art together in a studio and then putting it out for exhibition and, and seeing what happened. And then that became a thing where we went from town to town kind of doing this. Mm -hmm. um, the vision for the Limner Society is a visual arts renaissance mm -hmm. because I think visual arts is, has lost its way. And... So for me, it was more about kind of developing an audience, like teaching people about what visual art is and helping them understand how to connect to it, but also encouraging young artists of faith to develop their skill, not to rely on novelty or sentiment to get accolades, but to actually make good work and maybe even get into the marketplace, you mm -hmm. know, and... Uh, when you're doing this work, is it primarily Christian audiences that you're speaking to? So the exhibitions were purposefully not. What we ended up doing was having a workshop, which was hosted by some Christian community. Mm -hmm. We tried to use them to set the theme. So mm -hmm. like say they were studying, uh, we'll, we'll take Joplin, Missouri. So they were studying like Old Testament heroes. So we made our theme action heroes and that became the theme so that we could sort of speak into what they were learning as a, as a community with a different like means of, mm -hmm. of communication. I moved to New York city. Mm -hmm. I'm a fine artist and this is Mecca, right? you know, so, and again, I, I think so highly of myself that I thought I belonged here. <laughs> so, so I came.
Yeah. I had been, so I had been coming to New York since I left college. Mm-hmm. I used to work during the week and then I'd head off and probably two or three weekends a month I was in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time here, mm-hmm. like trying to make friends, get into networks, mm-hmm. just feel out the scene. Yeah. And then finally ended up moving here. I think that's part of the life of the artist that people don't even think about or realize. Like networking? The, the, the networking, the grind of oh, like it's horrible. You gotta keep showing up. You gotta keep oh. glad handing. Yes. You gotta keep remembering people's names. Praying, yeah. Praying they remember yours. I wish it weren't so. Yeah. Because that's a hard part of the business. So when you're going around to these, these these various places and showing art and talking about art, one of the things, you know, you said your vision was for this sort of renaissance mm-hmm. because visual art had lost its way. Mm-hmm. Expand on that for me. How do you think visual art has lost its way? Well, it's, it's almost like a antiquated thing. Like mm-hmm. we have film and photography and all these things that are filling sort of this, this void that, that painting used to fill. And in some good ways, that's there. In a lot of bad ways, it's there. So the capacities in us that were built by God, Mm. and one of those capacities is for beauty and worshiping God through beauty and being communicated to through visual means is a capacity that we have for a long time, it was a cultured practice that was a means of you really exploring that part of you. Mm-hmm. And so cultured people went and saw shows, paintings, mm-hmm. and we have replaced culture with entertainment mm-hmm. in our current culture, if I can use culture twice there. So the vacuum that was built to be filled with these things are now being filled with media and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so it makes us very uncultured people. And that vacuum was supposed to be filled with stuff that made you think, Mm -hmm. that pushed you into realms of learning things, both with your head and your heart at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a good practice when you need to understand things spiritually. You know, because as as you probably know, being in the Christian subculture for so long, there's tendencies to like lean one way or lean another, mm-hmm. you know, like there's very heady reform movements right. and then there's very loosey goosey right. spiritual movements, right. you know, charismatic movements, glory clouds, glory clouds. Um, <laughs> and both, both have yeah. real problems, right? real problems for sure. And then you have liturgical movements. Yeah. So the practice of practicing, yeah. which I would put in the realm of the physical, mm-hmm. you know, and all these taken to the ends have issues. The the real the real place is right there in mm-hmm. the in the middle where these meet, and visual art lives in that realm. 
mm-hmm. you know, it, there's nowhere else for it to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it goes outside of there, it becomes design, illustration, propaganda, mm-hmm. so on, so on, so on. Interesting. Um, so it's a, it's a delicate sort of balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've lost our way culturally. Yeah. We did a limner in Thailand and just going there and like going in the streets and into the basements and seeing these guys draw with charcoal they're like Xerox machines. I mean, they're so talented. They can, they can replicate anything they see with mm. their hand, but it's spiritually void. Mm. It's like Burt Reynolds with a cigarette in his mouth or something. <laughs> right. And you're like, wow, that is really beautifully done. Yeah. Portrait of Burt Reynolds. Right. Right. <laughs> you it's know. not saying anything. Yeah. It's interesting to me when you say visual arts lost its way. The first thing that comes to mind to me is sort of the movements of art in the 20th century and how much of it, like, I don't totally agree with Francis Schaeffer who Mm. who said it all became nihilistic. Mm -hmm. I think there's more depth to it than he gives it credit and there's more heart to it than gives it credit. But it certainly took a dark turn and and it certainly took a turn away from aesthetics in a lot of ways like yes you know it was no longer beauty was not necessarily yes. what was interesting about you know like like damien hurst's work you know right. like it's beautiful in a very disturbing way yes um so i wonder i wonder if you, if you could speak to that to like so those those turns it's, it's also interesting to go back to like the the partial p like the the three-part scenario you okay. know I mean, we are built and made in the image of God. And that image, I think, aligns us or creates us to be these like head, heart, soul kind of people Mm -hmm. or head, body, soul kind of people. And so this, this kind of speaks into that because the breakdown has been in the body and the head Mm. and then there's all this like it's supposed to be idea driven all this sort of contemporary art where Mm. you know you 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 literally go to chelsea and you walk through galleries and then when you come out you look at a fire hydrant and you're like wow that's beautiful Mm. but you think it's like an art installation because what you just saw was exactly what you're seeing on the street. It's like the thing that happened at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art when somebody dropped their glasses. Exactly. And everybody thought it was an art installation. We're taking pictures of it. Yes. So when, when art imitates life that closely there, there's something lost. Yeah. Um, However, at the same time, there's something beautiful about, about, turning someone's focus from what is high art, you know, where you have to be educated and you have to think a certain way and it has to look a certain way and all that to, to get them to like see beauty in the regular Mm -hmm. mundane. Like that's, that's what that kind of art can do. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, the best art is when you balance those things. So I, I talk a lot with people about the balancing of concept and craft. So it's, it's sort of taking the, the things 
and putting them into two categories. And so concept being the idea and then the execution of the idea, the craftsmanship of it. When those two things are in balance, you get the best works of art. I think people are making artwork without that balance. Before we get back to the interview, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB captures the Bible's original meaning without compromising clarity. It's an optimal blend of accuracy and readability. This translation helps readers make a connection with God's Word and inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB really is for everyone, for readers young and old, new and seasoned. It's a Bible pastors can preach from and a Bible you can share with your neighbor who's hearing God's Word for the very first time. Reading your Bible shouldn't feel like a chore. Learn more at csbible.com. Given that you're somebody who takes your Christian faith seriously and being in the contemporary art world, yeah. where often Christianity is received with hostility. Oh, yeah. Like, has that cost you anything? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Many, many things. Like what? The cost is like, who would I be and, and what would I be saying to people if I weren't telling them the truth about who I am? Mm-hmm. You know? So I just don't, I don't know any other way of doing it, you know, than honestly. I have contention points with a lot of people only because I even, the practice of my art is even like a little antiquated as far as like, I don't, I don't like do series of prints of my image or things like that. I believe in supporting artists and buying original artwork. And so I just don't, I don't do that. I could, and I could make money doing that, but I just don't, you know, and that's become contentious with some people who I just, I I think it's a practice that denigrates artists. And so if somebody's investing money into an artist who's making multitudes of prints, they could be investing that money into somebody else who's making art, you know? And so you're essentially just kind of stealing money from another artist. And so I just, I don't think it's a good practice. I think there is enough out there for everybody to have a place, you know, but the problem is that we don't have an audience that's educated or motivated enough to go out and, and put their money into the places where it's going to help people. So there's these sort of guards guarding the doors and pointing you like you have to go that way. And, and it ends up making one guy a millionaire while seven other guys starve, you know? Um, and that's just the unfortunate part of it. Right. Anyway. And the internet hasn't leveled that like it's leveled no. other industries. No. Cause it's still so driven by the galleries. I mean, if, if you're, if you're buying fine art off the internet, then, then you really <laughs> need to stop <laughs> because you, you really don't know what you're getting. Yeah. You have to be in its presence. Yeah. Like you have to be there to right. see it. Your sense of, of kind of the connection between your faith and your work. You talked about the Holy Spirit, mm. you know, being 
sort of integral to the the process of like head soul body being engaged i'd love for you to talk i'd love for, to hear you just more about that like what is are there like spiritual disciplines that inform or or root you or ways of checking in on what's happening with your soul as you explore these ideas i think it's the i i think it's just the normal things you know, being tied to a community of believers, participating in that fully, having an active uh, prayer life and participating in that fully and reading scripture and participating in that fully. I think it's just those normal things that inform you on that level. It's, it's like no secret thing that I do. Yeah. Um, now, what I'm trying to figure out is that dance I was talking about, like when I'm sitting and prepping to do some painting, I don't think I'm a crazy person when, when I have that going on, you know, as I look at it, that's my sort of dance with the Holy Spirit. It's like, he's reaching into me through this thing as things are happening. And then, and then you're reactive you're like moving with it, you know, and it's, it's fun to see that happen for other people. Cause then it just informs me that that's a capat, another one of those capacities. There's all these things that I look at as the DNA structure that has been built into this world as a structure, the image bearing structure of, of this world. And so I see them in little things like that, you know, in the art making process, there's this this thing happening between you and it. And it speaks to you, it talks to you. It tells you, look, put this over here. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'll put it over here. <laughs> and you're like, I wanna put one here. Oh, no, no, don't do that. Yeah. You know. So there was a lot of that. Yeah. And so being an evangelical mm. and being a contemporary artist mm -hmm. who doesn't paint Thomas Kincaid kinds of paintings, not yet. What's that experience been like? How, how, how do you feel received by the community? When I do limner workshops, those things uh, typically tend to be a little bit more literally, they transverse that sort of gap. Mm -hmm. It's like a, I'm drawing closer to what they expect, mm -hmm. you know, even though those things wouldn't necessarily be, I don't know. They're not Thomas Kincaid paintings, but <laughs> probably the closest I've gotten to painting one. Um, but again, it's the development of the audience, you know? So like I, I painted for the Action Heroes workshop, I painted children like in capes, like being action heroes. And then they were literally like Daniel or Moses or, so there was like child and a cape, like, this, you know, among all these lions sleeping around his feet and like transposed on Babylon, like the city of Babylon. So those I'm, I'm doing sort of more literal kind of mm -hmm. communication. And I, I mean, I think you're loving your audience by doing it that way. Yeah. Ask, you know, not asking them to come all the way to the steaming moose head necessarily. Right, right, <laughs> but, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they would like the steaming moose head. <laughs> I enjoyed making the steaming moose I'd head. I'd like to see the steaming moose you head. You should see it. It's pretty good. 
<laughs> it comes out his nose. You can actually push the button and make it come out yeah. his nose. But I think, I mean, again, I think that's an interesting perspective that um, in in Christians in the arts, oftentimes it's, you know, you hear, well, the problem with Christians is they only like Thomas Kincaid and, you know, they need to learn, they need to grow. And I, I hear that perspective, but I also hear the other side of it, which is I'm going to, I'm going to reach towards you in a way that I think mm. you can possibly be stretched and, and understand. And on some levels, it, it's a bit of a sacrifice for me. Sure. You know, I feel, yeah. I feel like I'm like bowing a little bit, but at the same time, I value that audience. And not, not only do I value that audience and want them to understand certain things about the art world, to develop that capacity in a person makes them a better worshiper mm-hmm. so that they can go to a museum and worship God mm-hmm. through the beauty. They can walk down the street and see the fire hydrant and worship God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that capacity was built in us for. Mm-hmm. It's a very important capacity. Yeah. You know, we, we've tended to, humanity has tended towards the intellectual, mm-hmm. the academic, the head, and then there's other portions of the church, probably the East-West divide, where they've tended towards the body. And then the movements of both East and West church have have like, humanity is a pendulum on a, on a, you know, it's swinging. Like, oh, I don't feel like we're doing it right. Let's go all the way over there, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And they're missing it, you know? We've become so heady in the reform movement and then you know, there's there's this particular attention paid to the body, and then, and again, I guess it's going back to like we were pushing out into these these extremes, and there's this place in in the middle where it all coalesces. God built a capacity for us to to learn things in that way. That's why, like, that's why I think we're attracted to movies. And, and things like that because man that thing the movies tickle that thing a lot but it's not fulfilling it it's tickling it so you you know I mean it's even it's even commercials and the marketing for movies you'll laugh you'll cry you'll you know in a world um, I mean they're marketing a movie that way because that's what people want now they just they want that place tickled but they don't want it to be significantly tickled where it changes your perspective on stuff, you know? And that's what God does in that place. Like you you put real art in it, in the place there and you're moved. Like you're shaken to the place where you wanna do things differently. <laughs> you're like, I've been making bad choices. I'm moved to be different. You know, that's what real art does. And that's, that's the capacity God has built for that vessel. And I just want it to be filled with the right things. Do you feel like your work is welcomed and valued in evangelical circles? Um, at times, um, obviously when I bow, when I do the limner thing, yes, like on some levels, 
but I feel like I'm being a little bit sentimental when I do that. You know, I'm playing with terminology that seems familiar to people. So they're like, ah, oh, that's cool. Um, but I'd love for them to think further. Like the, the series I'm doing right now, it's called Broadcast. I've been working on the same series since 2006. So for 12 years, I've been painting the same paintings. The exact same painting, no, no. <laughs> I'm not that guy. <laughs> but basically it's, it's about communication technology and social networking and the effects that it has on human relationships and, and how that's evolving. And I kind of leave it there for the general public. Like th that's what this is about. But for me, it's like, is this common grace? Is this God like giving us a picture of what it's gonna be like in heaven? How are, have you ever thought about how we communicate in heaven? Like, how is it that we're going to know everybody and everybody we know is gonna be around us when they know other people and they're gonna be always around them? Like, how does that happen without some sort of like otherworldly technology? You know what I mean? So I think about like otherworldly technologies a lot. And and I think of like our advances in technologies as as sort of common grace of God giving us a picture of what, what it's gonna be like. And so that's kind of what broadcast is for me. And you'd like for you'd like for your community to meet you there if they could. I I don't know. I mean yeah, yeah. I I don't necessarily want them to just like celebrate me. You know, I want them to just just be moved by where I'd love to hear how, you know, somebody else's paintings have moved them. Yeah. Whether it be a Christian or not, you know, because people have ideas. And you don't have to be a Christian to have a good idea, you know. Those ideas really can like inspire a focus on something real, you know, truthful and beautiful. Do I hope that, you know what it is? So part of it is, is this, this idea that, and it goes back to the whole power thing. So people are celebrated when they're successful. So, if I were financially successful at what I did, which I'm not, unfortunately, people would celebrate it. You know, they're like, before children, I was, I was having a couple of good years, like in a row, I was stretching a few good years in a row. And um, I was able to quit all side work and just paint full time. And that was awesome. People were really celebrating me like, wow, you are making it, you know? And I felt a little weird about that. Like, no, I was making it then and I'll be making it later. Just right now I'm able to sell a painting or two and, and eat, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's unfortunate that that's the way things are because my wife hung a, a quote on her door and I'm not going to remember it. Um, but it's worth trying to f 
figure out what it was. Maybe I'll send it to you later. But basically, see, I, I paraphrase everything because, you know, I'm not very literal. Um, I remember things, but not in the same way. Um, but basically, it's like we we love our artists, but we we don't want to pay for their work. You know, we love to hear what they say, but we don't want to support them. And that's that's just the truth about the existence that we live in, you know, the, the artist lives there. I would hope that the church would be different. There are times when I hope that someday the church would go back to what it looked like in the Renaissance. And it's probably why I use the word Renaissance because the church was a big factor for how prolific religious art became, you know, now, I don't hope for this like onslaught of religious painting in the marketplace only because I think, you know, it's been done. But man, if, if we could get the church to jump on the horse of patronage, of, patronage yeah. of culture makers, yeah. then we have an opportunity right now where there's a void of people who are doing things well. People aren't writing good stories. People aren't making good work right now. They're rehashing old trends. They're redoing old things and nobody's really innovative. If the church like poured into the people who are doing good work, there'd be a renaissance. Mm -hmm. There'd be a rebirth and people would want to know more about this God that they serve, you know, patronage in the financial sense is good. What's really good is just listening and being vulnerable and honest. Things I observe can sometimes be scary and and the arts are fringed for a reason. They're pushed to the fringe for a reason because they're scary to a pastor. I mean, you're shepherding the sheep and then, and then there's these like obstacles put in the pasture, you know, and you're like, I'm removing these obstacles. You know what I mean? But the obstacles make the sheep more agile, you know, when they jump over the rock or they, they're like flexing muscles they would never flex before. And maybe at the top of the rock, they see things they've never seen before. So you could keep them on the level field eating the same grass, but maybe that's not the best thing for them. Maybe they need to be stretched. Maybe they need to be pushed. Maybe they need to be exercised in a different way. And that's, that's where leadership can, can kind of come in because it, it's two ways. One, leadership needs to, to show or sacrifice in a way of being vulnerable to artists and say, I want to listen to you. But they also need, the artist needs to be discipled in a way of understanding the role that the leader plays. He's my pastor. Like what he says, I should really listen, yeah. <laughs> you know, because there's this 
tendency among artists to do things their own way, to go their own route and all whatever. But there's a role for us to play. And it's not, it's not above the leadership of the church. Mm -hmm. It's in, it's in line with the leadership of the church. So there's a little bit of submitting on both sides Mm -hmm. that needs to happen. Yeah. I like, I like the word openness that you use. Yeah. I think that's a helpful image. And, and there's compromise. I mean, yeah. there, there's a little bit of sacrifice on either side. Mm-hmm. And isn't that relationships? I mean, that's mm-hmm. what re- builds relationships yeah. is a vulnerability. Uh, submit to one another. To submit for Christ. Thank you. And that that goes to the pastor as much as to the congregant, you know? Yeah. So the artists live somewhere in the middle. Now first he sings and then he goes. And what it means. It's hard to know. Today's episode was produced and mixed by me. It was edited by Quinette Connor and TJ Hester. It was recorded by TJ Hester. Special thanks to John Stark. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. Our music is by Dan Phelps and Roman Candle. Hey, you can go to cultivatedpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. And if you like our show, go to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps other people find the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.